you're about to enter seventh heaven. If you like this pod, then you can show your support by rating us five stars and hitting that little subscribe button to help us climb the pod rankings and spread the sevens gospel. If you're looking for extra content, you can go to our YouTube page or our social channels, Twitter and Instagram, our handle at seventh heaven pod. Again, like, subscribe, share, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Konnichiwa and welcome back to your Celestial One Stop Pod. That's right, you're back in seventh heaven, all the way from the land of the rising sun. And while that oriental sun may have set on arguably the greatest week of sevens of all time, we're here to reflect on the week that was on the men's and women's competition at Tokyo 2020. I'm here as always, Bernsey, and I'm joined by double Olympian, Tom Mitchell and fresh off the Olympian boat, Abby Burton, who are both competing out there for GB sevens, their seventh heavens, favorite blondes in the entire world. Guys, so good to see you. Bernsey, there's a lot of things I've missed since I've been away and that your intros are certainly one of them. Uh, I'll, do you think you could have shoehorned any more uh, Japanese tropes into the, into that intro. It was brilliant. Well done. <laughs> Bernsey, that was class. Happy to be here once again. That's all I say. Every time I come on, happy to be here. That's, a, that's what we like to hear. And look, so much went on in that week in Tokyo. We're going to get into it. We're going to get into the emotions, the play, the winners, the losers, the sadness, the ecstasy. But Guys, you've been back in England for, what, a week and a half already? What have you been up to? How have you been keeping yourself busy? Um, the first few days, I might as well have not been around. I was sort of just like, there, there's always this thing. I think we've talked about it before, about coming back from sevens tournaments to sevens trips. Probably doesn't apply to everyone, but there's like a few days where I'm just useless because I can't get back into the mode of normal life. And I think particularly we were away for, what, three weeks or so, and... You get very used to living in a hotel or even in the village where you don't have to cook your own food, all that sort of stuff. And not only was I having to get accustomed to looking after myself in normal life again, but obviously coming back to the family, which has been a massive silver lining of coming back. Um, it's been amazing. Obviously missed the, the wee man a hell of a lot and miss Flo. So it's great being back with those guys. We've just been, we've just been chilling, mate, to be honest. it's um, It's been pretty hectic sort of six months to a year, so... It's just been nice to just do nothing virtually. Um, so little to report at the moment, but I'm I'm now at a place what ten days since I've been back where I feel like I could be productive again and actually start doing some useful things in life. Um, the only the only constructive thing I did, which I know Bert's has done as well, was was get a little uh, little appearance with UR7's academy at their residentials, which is uh, which was great just to try and connect up with some of the some of the youths and see what they're up to and the youths of, <laughs> the youths oh <laughs> yeah um i don't know why Bert's is cringing right now um i'd never describe myself as a you <laughs> no you're not you we were connecting with the youths isn't a you a multi-purpose vehicle in australia <laughs> <Try it. laughs> 
<laughs> also true. Get in the ute. Oh, nice ute, mate. Oh, yeah, nice looking ute, mate. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh, yeah, just stick it in the ute, mate. You guys have been giving back to the game straight away. Love that. With the utes. And we were just we were just waxing lyrical about it before we came on. And you were spearheading the Girls Academy, weren't you, Bets? Our sevens, by the way. Yeah, we had our first ever uh, girls residential um, off the back of the trial dates that we had earlier on in the year. And we had like, I think it was about 74 girls there, which is unreal. Like the amount of talent that is in that pool, it's just so great to see. And when I first got there, I didn't know whether I actually wanted to be there and could feel up to coaching a bit of rugby. But when you see what, what we've done back home, like even just getting, even when we came when we came forth, the repercussions that that's had back home has been immense. The amount of support that we've had, and then just young girls wanting to pick up a rugby ball, like it makes everything worth it. It isn't about like tangible items sometimes. It's about us inspiring the next generation. And we always said that as a women's team that we wanted to. It was more than a medal. It was about us inspiring the next generation of young girls to pick up a rugby ball and seeing that at the weekend. I believe that we've done that and without seeing it firsthand, I maybe wouldn't have, it wouldn't have sunk in as much that like what we did was hundred percent worth it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like we'll get onto the results in the Olympic competition itself in a little bit, but were you guys aware of kind of the swell of following that got generated over here? I mean, like worldwide, Maybe it's because all of my Twitter is dominated by rugby people, but there's just a sense that everyone was going bananas for the sevens and following your progress, obviously with the GB story background in mind as well, so closely and being intensely inspired by it. I don't, I don't know uh, about you, Bats, but there wasn't, you'd never get this sense when you're out there because obviously you're, you're in it and you're not really scrolling through social media all day. Uh, there's a fair bit to occupy you with the games going on. So when the when you're out there, it feels very distant. Um, uh, but uh, but certainly it's like overwhelming since we finished. Um, and in a way, I'm probably still in a little bit of denial about the scale of it because I, I don't know why. But you kind of think, you know, you see so many messages about how many people were into it, how many new people have come into the game as a result. Like people, I messaged a guy off the other day, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm literally just gone and bought a pair of rugby boots because I want to get into it. And I was just like, that's, that's amazing. And like, if you do, if that happens for one person, it feels worthwhile. But you think, as, you're, as you say, the scale at which that's happening globally, um, I mean, the reach we had as, as GB and the number of people who are aware of our story was amazing. Um, and a lot of people to thank for that. But that's happening across the world. All these different nations taking part, the number of people tuning in to watch sevens in the Olympics. Um, and a lot of those people are not tuning in because they're the, the regular sevens fans. It's not just the, the pod listeners that are tuning in to watch. It's like people who just love sport and love the Olympics. And then they've stumbled across sevens and realized how amazing it is. And I think there's probably a lot of people who watched it in Rio as well, who kind of would make, making sure they tuned in this time. And that'll be the same again in Paris. Like it'll just keep multiplying, multiplying, and that's the that's the power of it. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to like feel this the the scale of things. I think like because I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the numbers are like. I don't know how many people actually watch the tournaments and things like that. But it well, certainly <laughs> brings people out of the woodwork. Like you get messages from people you went to school with like twenty years ago. 
dropping a message. Hunters. And that is, that's the glory crazy. The glory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get off the bandwagon. People feel that kind of moved by it. Even, I know it takes 30 seconds to drop a message on Instagram, whatever. But the fact that people are that moved by it, they feel that they want to is pretty cool. Um, it was funny because the boys were before us and I hadn't come off my phone yet. And the amount of messages, because I'm still linked to the GB7s account from when we do takeovers and stuff. And the amount of messages that we got on that account was actually un- unreal. And I had to like, I had to go off of it because I was so overwhelmed by all the messages and all the support that all the boys got. And I was thinking... I'm going to have to come off my phone completely. And I had to transfer onto the phone that we got given when we were there for game day. Um, because I knew the reach that we had got, like I knew it from watching, watching the boys. And cause I was on social media when the boys were playing, uh, posting about them, doing us proud, you know, getting our name out there. Um, but I saw it all. And I was literally like, I don't know if I can cope with this. I'm going to have to come off my phone and just put my mum and dad's number, a couple of my mates' number, numbers in my phone and just came off social media completely. There we go. Bernsey, you were in there. <laughs> well, so you, you got, wait, well, let's start it back. You guys got given burner phones out there. <laughs> Bert's had a burner. Bert's had an Olympic burner. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Bert, you're telling me that you've been in charge of the GB7s account and therefore, and you haven't been reposting all the Seventh Heaven pod stuff. No, I didn't say I'm in charge. I did not say I'm in charge. All I'm saying is when you do a takeover, you keep the account and it just stays on your Instagram. So then you get all the notifications through. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that I'm doing us dirty on GB7's Instagram, am I? (laughs) Bare likes. You two won't be aware of this, but we went virile during the Olympics. (laughs) Virile? (laughs) We went virile. We went virile. (laughs) So I don't know if you recall... The video that I made of, I mean, I, I'm taking credit for it, but is the guy who put the tackle in, Tuiva Waka, um, basically control-alt-deleting, I think it's Mendy for Argentina in the semi-final when he's just in Step City in another world, just, you know, shimming across the pitch and Tuiva Waka gets him in the crosshairs and takes a bit of his soul. I made a little bit of a video of it that involved it cutting to... Tom from Tom and Jerry, him leaving his body and stepping on an escalator to heaven and looking back on his own carcass. Anyway, our Instagram automatically posts to Facebook. I've never even been on our Facebook before. Anyway, (laughs) it's been watched 200,000 times. We are massive in Fiji. We are big in Fiji, guys. (laughs) Mate, I saw that and that was some of your finest work, Bernsey, some of your (laughs) finest work. Your social your social output slides along quite a big scale in terms of quality, I think. But this was right up there. It was really top jaw. Let's just we're gonna get into the games, but while it's up there, go on then, but talk us through the try, just how it felt. So I'll talk you through it. Seven meters away from the line, tap penalty versus Kenya. We get a pen. I'm like, right, okay, I'm at the base of the rook, I'm going. Tap. Literally pick it up off the floor, head down, through two people try there and I, I was literally in disbelief i was like i've just done that i've just picked i have literally picked and goed in a seven tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and i got up and i was it's just like basically that earlier on in the week the girls we were on about try celebrations and hannah smith one of the scottish girls said to me 
Bertie, you don't need a try celebration because you don't score tries. And, Ooh. I, <laughs> Ooh. and I was like, yeah, I probably don't. But if I do, I'm going to do the double wave to my family and like what the uh, all the Japanese volunteers do when they see you. So I'm just there smiling on telly like this. And my mum said that she was crying when she was watching me wave. <laughs> she was like, Dan, she's waving to us. She's waving to us. And I was like, oh, my Aww. gosh. Um, but you know what? What was it? 811 days, Bernsey, you got it to. Amazing. 811 811 days since you scored against china i believe mm-hmm. it was i think yeah. most of your tries are against china actually you've got some got something for the old chinese but but <laughs> you can tick the kenyans off your list now olympic try scorer boom there we go well but you've gone one better than i have because it took me till my second games to score a try in the olympics and even then I only scored one i did i donutted in rio Big old bagel. Wow. So I was relieved to get over the white <laughs> this time. Thank you, Seventh Heaven, for sprinkling the stardust on me to allow me to score this try. <laughs> Mitch, Bert, you're welcome. Um, look, before we get into those games, uh, just give us a sense of what it's like in the village, the build-up, just everything surrounding Olympics out in Tokyo. Because, you know, it's not just about the three days playing rugby. It's the jer- It's the whole experience. It's the whole shebang. Well, we, we're fortunate with Team GB. Our trip into Japan kicks off with, um, as it does with a lot of the athletes, we go into a holding camp. So this is something that GB, Team GB tend to do for all Olympic Games, as far as I'm aware, is they'll set up a sort of camp away from the village to allow players to cut, uh, athletes to come in and train for uh, however many days, between like a couple of days and a couple of weeks, I think, uh, in a sort of smaller environment so you're not being thrust into the village straight away which is quite full on and we'll go and talk about that in a minute but um we were in so we were in yokohama for uh four or five days and it was brilliant really good setup like nice hotel the training facilities were at a place called todoroki and um it was brilliant amazing stadium there's a fair few pictures up on the gram uh, me and Bert's have splurged a few out there and it was cool because we were sharing that stadium with the athletics um, team as well. So the track uh, track athletes were doing their stuff around us while we were training in the middle on the infield. And that was sick. Other than what, well, there was a few like near misses with stray balls flying across that almost took people out of their Olympic journey there, right there and then. Uh, we had one where Robbie Ferguson decided to do kickoffs and uh, one bounced and, and rolled inches away from um from one of the long jumpers doing a sprint warm-up like so close to just taking her out she wasn't she wasn't best pleased but i don't know if you know this mitch but she was sick in front of dina asher smith and dina asher smith was so appalled that she let back all the muscle and she couldn't compete in the 100 meters so cheers bert was it your fault bert it was my fault it was my fault it was probably one of the most embarrassing moments i've ever had in my entire life Sorry, can I? Can we rewind a bit? Why were you sick? Because I don't deal. But you know what? The girls when they listen to this are gonna laugh because I just don't deal with the heat very well. And I decided in that session, right, to keep myself cool, I drink a lot of water. I probably drank like two bottles worth of water. And at the end of the session, I had to run to the toilets to be sick. And I literally come out of the cubicle, and Dean Ashersmith's just there washing her hands and she was like are you okay and I was like yeah I'm sorry you had to hear that and I was like I cannot believe I'm meeting you while I'm throwing up in the toilets because I'm a pussy with the heat 
circumstances <laughs> aside meeting dina is sick though isn't it i mean she is like as big as it gets like in she it. is the boss in it she did you is, call her dina cool. did you call her dina like do you, did you introduce yourself like how does it work when you're a fellow athlete because if you're a civilian like myself and uh, you meet an athlete there's that sort of that gray area of do you acknowledge that you know them or do you just introduce yourself? What do you do when you're when you're both athletes but from different disciplines? Well, one of um one of the girls, because Celia, uh Celia Kwanzaa, she's been in athletics for so she's mates with Morgan Lake and with um a few of the other girls as well. And apparently Dina came up when um she was with uh, Meg and Dina introduced herself and she went, Hi, I'm Dina. And Meg was literally thinking, I know who you are. <laughs> and she was, but like, she just introduced herself. She was like, hi, I'm Dean and nice to meet you. Um, I did not introduce myself while I was in the toilet because I wanted her to forget who I was because I was embarrassed. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, it's just, it's just mad. Like when you're like such big time and you, people will obviously know who you are, but you don't think that people will know who you are, if that makes sense. Like I, I would, I'm not that big time. So I just, I always have to introduce myself. Bertie Burton, nice to meet you. But when you've got like an, a world champion there who like you watch when you're growing up, you're just like, hi, nice to meet you. That is cool though, isn't it? Like talk, continuing the uh, rundown of what's cool about the Olympic experience, like meeting all the other athletes is one of the sickest things. And it's not just the, the sort of fanboying side of it, but it's like, it's the respect side of it. And the fact that it, you then acknowledge for a split second that you're at the same event as these people and you're like, you're in the same team and you're wearing the same kit. And that's the stuff that's really cool, isn't it? I mean, like obviously Dina, that's like top of the list. Did you meet any other famous Burts? I met- Well, she did. Um, <laughs> I met Semi Rod Raja, which I was, die I was dying to meet him. And I, me and Rodgers went on a mission and I was like, Rodgers, you need to take me to meet this bloke. I need to get a photo with him. Um, who else did I meet? I met Ash Barty when I was drunk. Um, um when was it on like the day that we finished playing she didn't really speak to many of us though and and i was just like i said to meg i was like meg we were watching her at wimbledon the other week like look at that like we were watching her on telly um who else did i meet alistair brownlee who i've loved for years like he is unbelievable athlete and what was really nice about him as well, he would stand outside the food hall and whenever we, like when we were coming back from our games, he always came and like spoke to us and said hello and was just really like interested in what we were doing, which like for me, I watched him when I was growing up. So that was really cool. I got a photo with him as well. Are you a photo, are you a photo one then? Are you someone that likes to go and get photos of people? Cause I get mixed feelings about this. Cause I feel like with the real famos, they must get sick of it. So yeah. like me and Norts were we were on our little Brompton. So another cool thing about Team GB is you get Brompton bikes to cycle around the village, and they're just to sit at the bottom of the apartment block, and then you can just like hire them out, cycle around the village. So me and Norts were on the way to dinner, and we saw Kevin Durant, like one of the biggest famous, and obviously easily recognisable. And we were like, oh wow, like this is a big one. And Norts was like, should we get a photo? I was like, oh go on then. But he was literally surrounded by people. We sat there, we stood there for like five minutes, and then we we're like, nah, this isn't this isn't the one. You yeah. must be sick of it. I do. I don't, know, don't know what the rules are. Yeah, I don't know what the rules are either, but I was thinking like, this is the first time I've ever seen these people. I was like, I've got to get a photo <laughs> with them. And it's more just like me and my dad are just proper noses. And I was just like sending him these photos. Like my dad's changed our family group chat WhatsApp to me and Semi, like literally just a photo <laughs> of us two, just at the, in the icon, me and Semi Radraja. 
he's like he loves it so i'm feeling i'm feeling my dad's dream as well me getting photos of all these cool people that that brownie guy sounds a bit creepy though hanging outside the ca- cafeteria waiting for you girls to come out and then pestering you each day like hey, context cool. he he went for the what did he go he went for the like you come out and you're like you still here, man? He's like, I'm a triathlete. I'll go all games. Jimmy has his chat up line. I'm a triathlete. Oh, oh my I, God. I can keep going and going. He's like, he's like land or water. You can't escape me, girls. Oh, my God. Before what we completely slander, before we completely slander Brownlee's reputation, um, a, bit, a bit of context. He was trying to get elected to the IOC Athletes Commission. <laughs> So to do that, you have to canvas votes. So that's why he was out there morning, noon and night chatting to athletes and canvassing votes. He wasn't just hanging around, lurking, waiting to chat to <laughs> waiting, Bert's and the waiting girls. Waiting for the rugby girls to come back out. Right, let's talk a bit of codes and what a six days bit of code it was. I kind of said it already in the intro, but the feeling was that it was arguably the greatest week that Sevens fans and people who aren't fans of Sevens have enjoyed. I know that it'll be tinged with disappointment for you guys, but just looking at it objectively, although you can't look at it completely objectively, it was amazing. And let's just start with the men's tournament because, oh my goodness, were there some humdingers in there, including Great Britain, but, you know, most notably probably Argentina's victory over South Africa. But just looking at the tournament as a whole, all of the nations that competed, like, really fronted up. Oh, mate. It, and also, to add to this, you've got to remember that this humdinger of a tournament came off the back of a nightmare year for everyone and, like, a really difficult year in terms of preparation. And there was kind of like a 1%, 2% fear in the back of my mind that it was going to be a bit of a flop in terms of the tournament because... Like the quality might have been terrible. Um, there might have been loads of injuries because players weren't match ready, like things like this. And I was dreading that, you know, on the biggest stage, Sevens wasn't going to have its showcase that it deserved. Um, but it couldn't have been, you know, it couldn't have been any better, to be honest. Like some really close games, um, some brilliant matchups, like a couple of surprise packages in some ways. Um, and then also probably with the, the favourites winning. So it's like kind of had it on both ends of the spectrum. Um, our own journey of, as GB was like, there was a bit of everything. I mean, day one, like it, it was flowing. It, we were smashing it. Everyone was feeling amazing. Everyone was loving life. Um, crash back down to earth on day two on the morning, sky high in the evening on day two, um, in the most ridiculous game against USA in the quarter. Um, and then, and then day three, which was, you know, we were beaten by a better team in the semi-final, um, and that was that was the way that was. It's pretty straightforward. And then missed out in a game that we should have won in the bronze medal match, really. So it's like we kind of had a bit of everything in those games. Usually in a sevens tournament, you kind of there's a bit of a theme like that runs across the weekend for you, but this had a bit of everything on each day. So. Yeah, man, it was crazy, and that's why. Like, I know you said you can't just look at it objectively, but actually, I think one, we have a duty to do that as the seventh heaven pod, as the authority on sevens. But also, I think it's useful because it does give you a bit of perspective on on the whole thing. Like, we'll talk a bit about 
some of the subjective bits and some of the emotions that come off the back of what happened with us. But unbelievable, mate. Like, and part of me is so reassured and like, I guess relieved as well, as I said, I had that fear, but I'm so glad that it was what it was as a tournament because that's what sevens is and it deserved to have that showcase um, at this time. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. It was so good. Who, who are your, what were your like standout games if you had to pick ones? Can, are there any that bring to come to mind? Mate, so before the tournament, just had a chat with Vix and Rory McConaughey here on the pod. Bert's made a late guest appearance. And the teams that we were talking about, so just looking, going from Paul C up to Paul A, because we'll finish on GB so that we can talk with you. But so Paul C was the group of death in inverted commas. And my takeaway from that group was Ireland have just got to be spewing that they didn't make it through i really felt that they had all this potential they're coming off the back of monaco jordan conroy was in scintillating form and they kind of fluffed their lines a little bit i think that they would probably admit that as well and the way that the opposition teams as well locked up conroy as well like the guy didn't have a sniff or tournament it would have been so frustrating for him out on the wing, there was no real point where you thought where he got the ball and he was in acres of space and he could do his thing apart from when he dropped the ball against Kenya and then they missed out on points difference to get for Canada to progress, which in itself was a complete miracle that they, that they got to the quarterfinals. I don't think anyone could see that happening. The permutations were so slim that Ireland had to win and buy less than seven points and they end up winning by five with Kenya getting a late try. And on Kenya, I also look at their games as well. Like they, they probably should have beaten USA as well. So yeah, they're, another, they're another team and they were good against South Africa as well. So they're a team that can be aggrieved with their own performance and it could, the whole tournament could have been so different. I think that that group itself almost summed up the tournament as a whole in terms of how helter skelter and competitive it was. Yeah, bang. The, the thing is about um, uh, like changing the narrative a little bit about some of those teams. I don't know if it's about them fluffing the lines. I think it's just that you have to be right on it if you're going to come through in the close games. Like we talked a lot about going to the Olympics, how in the Olympics particularly, games tend to be really tight. Like that's just the way it was before. And I think it's the way it was this time. Um, maybe less so this time around. But like it's not really about just fluffing your lines as such or like not showing up. Cause I think the Irish boys are really down themselves. And I was like, you still played some good stuff, but the reality is in sevens, like you've got to be right on it if you're going to progress. And it is such fine margins and it's summed up. The only fear I had about that scenario, you know, with Canada going through is I was wondering if fans were going to have a clue what was going on. That's the only thing about sevens, isn't it? It's like, did they know that it was about points and did that come across? I haven't really watched the, tv footage but yeah i think in between me on the social on the social media account and vix to be fair vix was all over it his commentary yeah was amazing him and tj who did the comms were just brilliant so i think there was a sense and the permutations were really complicated but they did get translated and it was difficult to stick with um but yeah i think i think, I think pr pretty much although it was it was as complex as it gets wasn't it yeah. And also, sorry, going back to those close games where the USA sort of scraped through, as much as Kenya would think we should have won that, fair play to USA for coming out on like the right side of those results because that mm -hmm. shows like good grit and determination. And actually, I wonder whether them having such tough games in the group maybe meant they ran out of gas a little bit by the time it got to the quarterfinal. 
yeah. and ultimately we managed to pit them you know in the in the final stages but did that take a toll i don't know wouldn't be surprised like if you have you have three tough games and then struggling in your fourth what did what did you think Bert? how much of the action did you see i guess you saw watched every minute well i watched um i watched a lot of like, i watched all of our boys games um and we it was hard because we were trying basically watching you guys play was probably one of the most emotionally draining things I've probably ever watched. Like, especially within, within the, um, not as much within the pool stages, but as you got into day two and, um, onto day three, we like, when you guys played that quarterfinal, I felt like I was playing it and I had a headache for about two hours after that because I was so emotionally invested in what was going on on the TV screen. And we had to have a, a discussion about the next day about your guys's the semi-final we were like should we watch it and should we just let Rodders and Scott tell us tell us the, the result because I think that they were really conscious that we were all so invested in we wanted you guys to do so well that we didn't want it then to like drain us before we were going into competition but like some of the some of the results and some of the score lines within the men's tournament were absolutely unreal just watching like some of the big dogs pull out like pull out their usual standard running away with running running away with some of the games but actually the fight and as you said there with the with the Irish and then with the Canadians um the fight between who was going to go through them it was just a great like that was just a great representation of what sevens is and it's like really really cool that the hype of that got shown in all aspects of social media and then not just within that but also on the field as well. It, you can just see how much it means to people like when you watch them play from like an outsider's point of view because you know how that feels. Just looking at some of the other teams, what, what did you think of Australia? I know that you didn't play them, but just from my perspective, watching them, they didn't seem that cohesive. They went really well against New Zealand in the first half against them. In fact, I think they were leading and then they only lost marginally, but that was probably their best performance. And yeah, they had very good players across the park, like Moza Longbottom and Karevi was obviously important. It was interesting how they just cycled him on for three minutes at a time and then cycled him off. But they just didn't seem to have the cohesion and seem to perform as a team. They looked like seven individuals out there almost. Yeah, it shows what I know, because going into the tournament, I thought, oh, Australia could be quite good at it, you know. Um, and then when they were up against New Zealand, I was like, yep, see, told you. And then they ended up actually having a really average tournament. Um, by their standards because I think they were like when they played Argentina they were down by like 20 odd points in the first half and I think they yeah. came back into it a bit but like yeah strange I, as I say I sort of picked them as being someone who the team would be competitive I thought they'd had quite a lot of match time together um, certainly compared to a lot of countries who knows who knows um, uh, maybe they, they didn't have a huge amount of experience in that squad I think off the top of my head I feel like they're quite a young team I mean they had Nick Maloof, who's been around. Um, yeah, I, d I don't know. It's hard, really hard to pick it because coming in, you would have you had him. Um, and also, you got to remember their coach, Walshy, obviously his experience of winning Olympic gold with the women in yeah. Rio. So uh, maybe, that, maybe that wasn't a useful thing for the men. Maybe there was a bit of pressure that came with that as well. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of hypothesizing here. I've got no idea. Um, I've not really chatted to any of those boys. And all I've seen since is the headlines about them messing up in the village and then having to have alcohol counseling now that they're back and all sorts. And it's just like, it's all, a, 
I do feel a bit for those boys because I'm sure it's, I mean, yeah, there's no smoke without fire, but I do feel it's probably been hammed up by the Aussie media a little bit. But there we go. Like, shout out to South Korea. who scored tries against Australia and against New Zealand. And they're in the running for the best stash in the tournament as well, I'll add. And then we're rifling through this because kind of so much happened and it's so difficult to squeeze it into one pod. But just onto those quarterfinals and your one against the USA almost defied belief. But then that was followed by the the most extraordinary game of all time, Argentina against South Africa. Did you guys watch that? I actually haven't seen this yet. So I I watched bits of it, but I got like a running commentary of what was going on because we we had to just chill out after we watched the boys play because all of us had headaches and we were like, right, we need some food. We're all dehydrated. Um, but I heard about the Argentina went down six men. They got a re- red card within like the first couple of minutes. Gaston and then Yeah, and then they ended up coming back to win the game. That's nuts compared to like with a fully loaded South African side, like that is... A, a steep, steep hill to climb. Steep, steep hill. Well, they actually finished the game with five players because they also got a yeah. yellow card towards the end of the match. But they took the lead through the player of the tournament, him to Ivoaka, maybe Manetta. Manetta, the Argentinian young flyer. And I mean, to shut out that experienced African team, because one thing you say about that Blitzbocker team, game management, ring craft, those guys know their way around a field and a game situation. Maybe they're missing Neil Powell on the touchline, but to see a team with five men beat South Africa, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, South Africa, another team, like we talked about Australia, South Africa weren't their best. Like, that's not the best we've seen them play. And, you know, they were in isolation when they arrived in Japan. Their coach only came out of his isolation after actually testing positive COVID on day two or three of the tournament, whatever it was, but he wasn't there to coach them. So like, there's all sorts of reasons why they might not have been their best, but still they're a good side and they've got really good players who know how to win, win tournaments, win medals. Um, and I, I was, it, well, I was buzzing for Argentina, to be honest, at that point, less <laughs> buzzing for them at the end of the tournament. Um, but I was just like, yeah, fair play because they've got such a lot of dog about them and what they've always sort of lacked over the years a little bit, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, but they've sort of lacked a little bit of X factor. Um, and I think they've, they've kept their sort of characteristic dog and scrap and fight, finishing a game with five players, but they've added to that with the likes of Mineta, who was just, yeah, electric, really exciting um, and very dangerous. Um, and when you look at it like that and you look at the quality that they were bringing... Uh, and I know we sort of moved on to Argentina here, but they were bringing that quality throughout a lot of the warm-up tournaments. I think they hadn't, they'd won everything they'd entered in terms of the warm-up tournaments all the way through to the games. Mm-hmm. So they were coming in as, you know, one of the one of the top teams for sure. Um, and we'd spoken about how good they are. Uh, so it was kind of maybe no surprise to see them in the podium at the, at the end of it. Although, yeah, maybe we should have done something about that. They were they were my caramel stallions as I described them because they weren't dark horses because they were they were looking pretty good already. They're my caramel stallions <laughs> for a medal as I described them on our preview pods, and we'll get into them a little bit more because the other two semi-finals uh, saw New Zealand and Fiji head through. You obviously sorry quarterfinals. You obviously played New Zealand 
in the semi-finals, they just looked a well-drilled, well-organized, knew what they were doing, team out on a mission throughout the entire tournament. Yeah, they were very, yeah, well-drilled, like polished. Um, didn't look to be bringing anything like out of the ordinary. No, but they, I mean, you know, they had the players for that, for sure. But they were just, the way they were playing, the sort of game plan that they, they laid against us, certainly in the semi, was just very controlled, kind of a ruck-to-ruck game, move it to the wits, carry, seal the ruck very quickly, play to the other wits, seal, like a bit of tempo in the middle, which is kind of the way they play. Um, and we thought, you know, we thought we were actually doing the right job against them. But the problem is... Ultimately, just very quick rundown for that game. The physicality that they have across the board in their team means it's very difficult to get the ball back off them. Um, if you're gonna, if they're gonna be very quick at the ruck, it's very difficult to sort of blast them off the ruck. And because they're across the board quite good physical carriers, so you're often you're not often making a dominant hit on them and then able to blast through it. So we were kind of just getting worked a little bit. Um, you know, would we've done anything differently? I mean. Pfft, we tried to do what we thought was best for that game. We probably needed to do something to try and disrupt them, but it's easier said than done against the side that was, you know, uh, top of the pile, weren't they, when Sevens, um, when the last World Series was running. And they've had a pretty smooth run in. I say smooth, I mean, relative terms, in terms of preparation. Um, yeah, I'll be honest, I thought they were going to go and win it after that. I thought these guys have got, got it in their sights and they're very, very polished but wasn't to be. Man, you mentioned the lack of, should we call it X Factor for New Zealand? It felt like- It doesn't sound right, does it? To say lack of X Factor, because <laughs> no. they're obviously across the board, they are all, they've all got it like in spades, but it was more just the style that they were kind of playing, I suppose. Mate, how good was Scott Curry for the whole tournament? Whew. He had a hell of a tournament. One night in heaven, one night in heaven. One thing that kind of stuck out for me Probably this is more for the men's, I'd say, than the women's, because there are some standouts in the in the women's. It felt like a tournament where it was team performances that got you the wins. There wasn't a huge amount on the highlight reel of one player doing insane things and it being clipped up and shared around. There was there were very very few wizardly moments from like a P Bake, from a Carlin Isles, uh, from a Dan Norton. Yeah, Manetta was probably the exception to that, but it felt like it was about team cohesion and dynamics as a seven that were winning the games and less, you know, creating extraordinary one-on-ones that that someone got taken to the cleaners on. Mate, I think that's a really good observation. Yeah, I've not really thought mm. of it like that. Um, but yeah, like normally, as you say, you've come out and you've got like, you know, you've got two or three guys who are like, oh yeah, they're definitely in the dream team for this tournament. Like they were standouts and they absolutely tore up and they've they've won that game for them. Because in sevens, that you can still do that. You know, if one guy has a ridiculous game, that can change it. Um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't really a thing. I mean, I don't know why. It's quite it's, it's interesting, Burnsy. Good observation. Does anyone think you know something about the game? <laughs> uh, I've been making it up for two years, but finally I've learned something from you guys. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about that USA quarterfinal. I mean, what a, what a win. What a win. I know that you got injured very, very early in it. So, I well, it's interesting. You've got the perspective of having been on the field, but then having watched it for a great majority of it. So, what was it like? 
Uh, yeah, I don't know if perspective was anything. Was there was any perspective involved in that moment? Those moments because it was all pretty nuts. But um, <laughs> oh mate, hype, hype going into it. Like there's something about evening games as well, which just seems to build a bit more excitement because the floodlights were on and although there was no crowd, it was it was big buzz going to you know massive. Well, probably the biggest game in our careers at that point. Um, and you could feel it, like you could feel the guys were in a really good place. There was a lot of excitement, a lot of energy. We were in a good spot. And then when I came off, I just watched this like league a few tries. And what was it? We were like 20, 21 points down, I think. Yeah, yeah and 21. Then, and then the big, the, I think the big thing about that game was we got a score just before half time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we came back to 21-7, I think. And that is huge. And people, people maybe like don't understand, but that, narrowing down the amount of work you have to do in your second seven minutes like that is really big really important um but it was just like i think we'd we'd actually played uh, usa quite a lot in the in the build-up because they came over to st george's park uh, we'd played them over in la so like of all the sides they're one that we knew quite well uh, obviously tony rokes our coach was their coach until December last year. So, you know, there was a fair bit of spice in that matchup as well with him going up against Mike Friday. Um, And the boys just held on to the belief, I think, for the second half. And it was amazing to watch. I mean, it was bloody nerve-wracking. Like, I I didn't enjoy it particularly. Um, But it was just belief to stick in it, knowing that if we got some ball, we were going to be... We're going to be able to get back and score some tries. And that's exactly what the guys did. Um... There was a real sense of trust, and, and that was pretty cool to observe. Um, albeit, I probably needed a change of shorts by the end of it, <laughs> and that was nothing to do with the injury. <laughs> uh, um, our USA fans who will be listening in will say, "What about that Harry Glover penalty at the end? <laughs> what are we saying?" You, you, sometimes you get lucky. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Sometimes you get the rub of the whistle, eh? Funnily enough, though, we <laughs> a little bit of analysis that uh, Adam Fuge, our, our analyst, had done beforehand was we'd actually looked at that referee tends to favour the defensive breakdown. Like, if it's a 50-50, and I'm not saying that one was necessarily a 50-50, but... <laughs> um, that, that, so there was a little, like, in terms of if you're going to gamble, that's the way to gamble sort of thing. Um, whether that's accurate analysis and whether that played into that moment, I don't know. But that was something that we were aware of going to the game. So, um, you know, you never know. Little things like that might make the difference. But you know what, though? Like sevens, when it's close, you do get some and you don't get some. Like that is the way it goes. And I, I never really... You're always tempted to be aggrieved at the refereeing. And <laughs> I have been aggrieved at refereeing plenty of times in my career. Um, but, it, you know, whether it's the referee, whether it's the way the ball bounces... You know, whether it's someone tripping over a bootlace, like there are always these things that are going to make the difference sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what? In in a period where we're getting bogged down with chat on refereeing decisions and not actually celebrating the game, we're not going to get too stuck on this. Uh, I think that the South Africans have taken care of that enough during the Lions series. What a load of bollocks that's all been, by the way. Oh, I've got no time for any of that. It totally put me off the whole thing. That's all I'll say. I hate it so much. Like, hate it. And also, I'm really disappointed that World Rugby didn't step in or haven't stepped in and actually taken some credible action against Razio Erasmus. He's basically posted a 60-minute video slagging the referee off. And that is, first and foremost, like one of the 
the highest principles of the game to respect the officials and then to take no action is just it's just the shambles i think it's so bad let's get campbell if they've got anything about it they'll send him get him walking <laughs> i love that video oh god typical audience <laughs> but you should do that because you've got the accent go on give us go on you do it <laughs> oh what about that Get him off the field! <laughs> oh, got any bottle about you, Campbell? You'll send him walking. You'll walk him, Campbell. You'll walk him. <laughs> that's, oh, we that's kn- knew we made that big northern summer signing for a reason. Um, <laughs> look, final, and then that led GB onto the. Uh, uh, well, we've spoken about New Zealand, but the bronze medal match against Argentina and. I guess a bit of an interesting one. Well, it's a position you haven't been in before in the Olympics. And did it feel the same? It wouldn't have felt the same as when you're in the third place match in a World Series game. Um, no, because there's probably uh, more on it because you know, this is a one-off tournament. But uh, there were similar feelings of like that process of being like shit what we ultimately came here for is now out of reach which is the top spot but we know where we've got something to play for and you have to get yourself into a place where you're in the right frame of mind to play um i haven't really debriefed about that you know all the build up to that game and the way we approached it and everything a few things went again unfortunately we had picked up another injury so i was already out we had alec coombs who was was playing after dislocating his shoulder two days previously, which was ridiculous. Like, Alan Wynne Jones, eat your heart out. Like, this was <laughs> next level from Coombsy. Um, I don't know how he was even able to play. And then Robbie Ferguson did his ankle in the warm up. So we lost another player in the warm up for that game, which wasn't ideal. Uh, so we had a few guys playing at position. Um, but it was just one of those ones where I think, it, if we're being honest, the, that game was there for the taking. I don't think Argentina played their best game in the tournament then. I thought they were like down on what they'd been showing up to that point um i thought it was yeah it was there probably to be done but we just leaked a couple of easy scores gave the ball away too cheaply uh and that's what you know you never expect to win the game if that's what you do and it's things it's like it's always horrible losing games when you know that you have it within you to win it like it felt a bit different when we lost the semi-final because we felt like yes we could have done things differently but they played better than we did like they executed their game plan and it worked um whereas that one we know we could have won it and when that happens in a medal match it really it's like salt and acid in the wound um and it's yeah it's tough to take i a couple of people have said to me in the last couple of days actually Again, I haven't watched the TV footage, but apparently it panned to me when I was in the stands. Because the other frustrating thing, I wasn't able to stand on the touchline for these games because of the rules. I had to be up in the stands and I felt very distant from it. And I had the radio on, but it's like, what you know, what's the fucking point? There's, there's not much you can do there, really. Um, and I was just, I was glad I was wearing a mask, to be honest, because I just felt so, I don't know, dejected, like... You know, everything the guys were feeling on the field, but, in, you know, it's different when you're when you're watching and you feel like you can't, play a part in it and then you got feelings of like guilt and all sorts of stuff just washes over you so that was tough and I think some of that is still lingering now but um that's that's the game that is the game and that's the thing with the Olympics is those top three spots a rule that really 
you know, all that you play for, like it, that's, that is the game. And I'm not saying that's all that matters, but that is all you play for because that's the nature of it. You, you play so that you can get on the podium. <laughs> I don't know. It's not a nice way to segue into the into the women's competition here. We're not quite we're not quite the women's competition yet because it would be remiss of us to not mention the gold medalists, the back-to-back gold medalists, Fiji, who I mean, they had a ropey old start against Japan on day one. It looked for a moment that Japan might cause another historic Japanese rugby upset in deposing Fiji, but they came through that and then they just grew and grew and grew. Coming back to that point about individual brilliance being maybe a little bit absent and things being a bit more mechanical and team driven. It was a Fiji without as much of the razzmatazz as we're used to. Um, you know, Jerry Tuai is obviously Jerry Tuai and he's the greatest rugby sevens Olympian of all time. But, mm-hmm. you know, there weren't any of those Queen's nose moments and their best player was Tui Vawaka who mm-hmm. went round just murdering people all games. You played against them, Mitch, and they they really did show up on that start of that day two against you guys. It's probably a bad time to play them after they kind of underperformed on the first day. So what do you think? What did you make of them? Yeah, it's really funny Like that Tuvaka was their, probably their best player because, or most effective player, because I always sort of, there's been a lingering question when they've selected him before. I'm like, what, like, what does he do in that team? Like, but I think he was so he'd been clearly given free reign to just go and be a wrecking ball, like on both sides of the ball, like attack and defence, and it was just so effective, and it, it freed up the rest of the players to do what they were good at. Uh, and fair play to Gareth Baber, the coach, because it was an inspired selection, and they played him a lot of minutes. Um, he's obviously incredibly fit and he just kept going and kept going. And I was like, fair play, like he's absolutely nailed this. And there was no temptation, I think, for him to bring in, obviously he brought in Semi, but like it didn't play him for a lot of minutes. Like he did his role. It just, it, as you say, it felt very cohesive. Um, I mean, they really turned it up though as well. Like in the same, when they get to the later stages in tournaments, often I think it's when they're at their freest and they feel most alive and most creative and I thought New Zealand were going to give them a real run for their money and Fiji just looked so assured I thought I thought they just looked so composed which is not always a characteristic of Fiji teams in the past like you know there's so much on the line for them there's so much passion involved in what they do that the composure often comes secondary to that but I just thought they looked so so uh not methodical that's probably the wrong wrong word to to use but they, they just looked like they knew they were going to win that game. They knew how to win that game. And I was so impressed. Mate, <laughs> I, I 100% agree with you. They looked so assured against New Zealand because I picked Fiji to win before. And then having watched the games develop to the final, I thought New Zealand are going to do this. But like New Zealand didn't have an answer to them. And it's so strange to see Fiji win a tournament on defence. And like their breakdown work was fierce. Like Man, it just Unreal. didn't stop, did it? Unreal. And, and that's against New Zealand, who you would have said were the best breakdown team probably in some ways in the, in the World Series, in the competition. Um, yeah, remarkable. I think they, New Zealand came back into that in that final. And at that point, I was like, this is, this is key. Like, if Fiji can weather this now, uh, then, then they'll sew up. Uh, and they did. And they didn't, they didn't do it using them, you know, any X factor or anything. It was just like resolute, 
defense and yeah control more than anything like it's amazing what we say about control i mean it's their attack is still always chaotic to a degree but like just yeah what, what was the word you used that was that's the right word assured assured assured, assured. assured yeah mm. so fiji worthy gold medalist absolute scenes on the pitch afterwards i don't know if you guys know this but they actually turned off the PA system in the stadium at the end of the final so that everyone in the stadium could hear the Fijians sing in the circle, which I thought was pretty cool because bloody hell, was that DJ overzealous or what throughout the tournament? We could hear it on the TV. The second the ball went out for a line out, he was playing the Black Eyed Peas. It was just like relentless. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so pretty cool scenes for Fiji, New Zealand, would they be happy with the silver medal? They they weren't at the time. I tell you. I mean, obviously you're going to be gutted, but they were distraught watching them walk back to the changing rooms because we were obviously still there. They were in bits, like they were really low. And I I wonder whether they'll feel like that for a long time or whether they will now be proud of what they achieved. But they were they were dark mm-hmm. as a group. I think they had a very clear idea of what they wanted to achieve and they fell short of it. And Argentina bronze GB valiant in their efforts obviously gutted for you mitch but i think i sent you a message at the time to say that i think that there's no disgrace in the performance from team gb at all mate it was it was nice bernsey nice to hear from you it generally that the wound as i say that was uh it was fairly gaping um after that result but and that is yet to heal i think probably for a lot of people a lot of us i'll speak for myself um but it's certainly on that we're on that journey we're on that on that direction um and the outpouring of love and support we had from people was astounding i genuinely mean that you know like i am rarely overwhelmed and i'd usually play things down probably but i was really taken aback by how many people and the strength of feeling that people showed one night and have one night one night and have one all right Bert, it's time to bring you back in because i could see your spirits drooping more and more as mitch <laughs> went through his journey so we're gonna lift you up because there were a lot of highs for team gb women and if we were riding on a high after the men's tournament we got to do it all again and more in the women's who delivered in spades and again some teams coming out of left field as well to really give the world a shock. We are going to come on to Fijiana pretty soon, but just looking at some of the other major teams that maybe didn't get as far as they wanted to get. And I think a good place to start is probably Australia. Uh, The reigning gold medalists, weirdly coming into the tournament unfancied. They had lost to Fijiana in the Oceana Sevens. They'd lost quite a few times to the Blackburns, but that happens to everyone. What did did you see much of Australia, Bert? Like, do you know what didn't click for them? So yeah, um, Australia was a was a funny one. Like when you when we went into the tournament, you haven't got Elia Green, who they were they were missing on the edge. Also, um, Alicia Quirk, she had a baby. Um, Chloe Dalton, who was really really dominant with how they wanted to play, um, and also missing the goat of rugby, who was there in 2016 in Rio, um, Emily Cherry as well. So you kind of looked at the Australian team and you thought they've got a few young girls in there. I think there was three of them who were on debut who had never been capped on the series before. Um, and it just didn't look like the the strongest Australian team that there could have been, but that might, that may have been the strongest Australian team that they were putting out at that time. Um, but yeah, like I spoke to... Um, 
Kaslik, Charlotte Kaslik, while we're out there, like they were obviously gutted that they came fifth. Um, but they said that coming out on a day three, um, they they wrote some wrongs in in the in those two games because um, they were very disappointed about losing their their court their quarterfinals. Um, but it's it's just it's hard for them because they were on the back of losing losing two games, I think, by two points. Um, and it's hard when I've been on the receiving end of those results before, and it's it's a really difficult place to be in because you feel like you've given everything, but then sometimes it's just missed by a kick, or literally they score at the death, and now they're beating you by two points. It's it's a really tough position to be in. But then you've got Australia, and you've also got another surprise, which was which was Canada, who didn't do as well either as what they have done before on the series, like repeated years, they've come, they've come second on the series. They've always been up for those medal contentions. The years that the year that we had to qualify for the Olympics, they came second on the series and they didn't, they didn't even get out of their pool, which was like a real, real big shock um, to a lot of people. We know that there has been some stuff going on off field within Canadian rugby, but I still, to be honest with you, I didn't know how much that would have affected them, but evidently, a lot of them have been very open and honest on social media about how that has affected them running into the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, they obviously had those trials and tribulations off the field, but ultimately they were beaten by France, who were the silver medalists, and Fijiana, who went on to win bronze. And I think mm-hmm. probably the, the fly in the ointment for a lot of teams was how much Fijiana developed over the last 18 months because such an unknown quantity. They've obviously been in this in this sevens camp for months and months, just playing code. And yeah. they came out fierce and hungry. Um, yeah, they, you know, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna be tough for you to talk about, but they were definitely the story of the tournament. They beat Canada handsomely as well. Yeah. Then Australia, and then, you know, missing out on a, by a whisker against New Zealand and then mm. ending up with the bronze. It's it's hard it's hard to put what was different about them because I think that they were just a completely different team to the last time I played against them on the series. They were so much fitter than what they ever had been. Like Fiji, usually when we used to play against them, we used to they used to give us a bit of a run for our money within the first half. But then coming into the second half, that's when we used to pull away because we were fitter than what they were and their skills under pressure they would just throw these offloads, which was so rogue. And a lot of them, when they were tired, wouldn't go to hand. But everything just clicked for them at this tournament. Like when we went into uh, the bronze medal match, uh, Scott Forrest, our coach, said that we will probably see things on this rugby pitch that we will have never have seen before by the Fijians. Because that's the beauty that you get with Fijian rugby, that you see things that you will have never, ever, ever seen before. And it's just so hard to defend against. But it was how we were going to bounce back from those miracle tries. Um, but honestly, hats off to Fiji. Like I, they, they deserve to beat New Zealand in that, in that, in that match. Like they really, really do. Um, they played the better rugby and New Zealand were lucky in the, in the end of it. Like, but then do, do you make your own look? That's the, that's the argument, isn't it? Um, but no, they, they were world-class. Like they were world-class ferocious again at the breakdown defense i think i described them like the t2 terminator that they just kept on coming and you mentioned about their fitness they kind of looked like they could go like that for way more than 14 minutes it was like there wasn't an off button on any of them no honestly super physical super fit like unreal like a fiji inside that i'd never 
I'd never come across against since since I started playing and there's been a mixture of the different Fijian sides that's, that have come in since I've been on the series but this this team was they had they had something special about them so we spoke about Australia right at the top and I was chatting to Vix by the way Rob Vickerman not only an unbelievable commentator but he can whatsapp as if he's not commentating throughout because <laughs> all throughout all throughout just messaging 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 and when I watched USA the first day, for me, they looked really one-dimensional. They looked like big boshers, carrying very narrow. And they seem to, and this sounds strange to say, they seem to lack a real speedster. And I want to ask, was the pitch narrower out there in Tokyo? Because it felt like there was a lot less room on the pitch at all times. Like players out on the edges would get the ball and they just didn't seem to have as much room or they weren't traveling as fast and when I watched them the first day I said Australia were going to cut them to ribbons I thought that Australia were going to play around them they were going to outmaneuver them but as you said they beat them by two points and then that's what resulted in you meeting USA in the quarterfinals yeah I, I, I definitely like Coming from LA, the pitch that we played on in LA is it was quite big in the LA LA Galaxy Stadium. Um and I felt like we had a lot of room for our flyers to move there. Um I do think I don't know if it actually was smaller, but it definitely did feel smaller. But then you see Jasmine I think it Joyce wasn't a small pitch scooting compared through to the normal. tiniest of gaps and you see her flying. Um but yeah, it, like USA, they were like USA are really tough team to play against if you're not very good with your one-on-one tackles, which in previous tournaments when we played against them, we were kind of a bit like, oh, maybe our one-on-one tackling and our physicality isn't as great as what it what we thought it was. Um, so, yeah, they, they relied a lot on that, a lot of their brute force trying to suck people in and then try and move the ball to the wing. But I think that the way that, they're, that they ended up playing just wasn't energy efficient with the, them battering through the middle they were tiring out their girls in the middle which then meant when you were coming to try and release your speeds on the edge it was hard for them to get the ball there because they had done all the hard graft in the middle and it they just weren't breaking teams down as quickly as what they usually do um teams just fronted up better against them i think um gave a bit more physicality yeah i think yeah, they. I felt like they lacked a bit of invention. That once the once the plan A of taking the battering ram through the middle was halted, that they didn't seem to have the wherewithouts to unlock the defense out wide a little more. And that's it's a credit to you guys because they are um, impressive athletes, every single one of them. So for Team GB to soak up that assault from them for the the entirety of the second half was yeah. unbelievable unbelievable i think they were in possession for nearly 3 minutes weren't they at one stage yeah and when you, i came on i mean what what was that like what was the chat and the feeling out there as a seven it was it was pretty nuts because when i when i came on um i came on with like 3 minutes left to go and they said like just do just do your job bertie like we just need to do our jobs and we'll see out this game. Um, but there is always at the, in the back of your mind that like they could come back. And I knew as soon as like we, they kicked off to the middle with, with when me and Abby Brown were, and I think I've never pod lifted someone as high in my entire life. And she was like, I need, I need you right now. I need you. We need, we need to go. And I'm like full extension, just like holding Abby Brown over my head. And it was honestly <laughs> unreal. Um, 
But then after that, it was just literally like, it was dog. That's that's all I can describe it as. Like I ended up on the edge against Nia Tapper at one point and I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Like Deborah's just doing work in the middle. Like she's literally like come off her wing. She's just like attacking anything that moves. So is Emmy Wren. Like it was just a pure fight and we held them out for three minutes and they ended up scoring last play of the game. But like at the at that point, the dam like the damage had already been done. We'd already we'd already won the game. There was no coming back from that. I just I don't even know. It was just it was like we were fighting for our lives. Like it was unbelievable. And that's one of the biggest things. Like the the thing that I think about the Olympics is that moment because we had come so far as a team from LA. We're actually in LA, USA bullied us. They, they bullied us with their physicality and we we didn't know how to handle it. And there was a lot of girls when we came away from LA said, we, we need to work on our physicality. Like our contact skills are not where they need to be going into an Olympic games. And yeah, we we just turned up. We turned up in that quarterfinals. We were like, we ain't losing this. We ain't being bullied by another team. Um, but yeah, we it was un- unbelievable scenes, unbelievable scenes. Do you think the teams underestimated you out there do you think or or there was an element of unknown quantity about you that teams struggled to deal with yeah i think so like honestly because i think sometimes like we necessarily didn't know what we were going to bring sometimes in some games like especially in the lead up to the tournament we were still trying to find out what our identity was but then by the time that we got to the olympics we knew who we were as a gb team but obviously some of these teams we had not played, had never played a GB side. Some of our GB girls, um, like some of the Scottish girls had never even played like a, a New Zealand or like when they were on the series before they had never played teams like this. So it was an unknown for both sides. Um, but I definitely think that played to our advantage because pe- people just hadn't seen what we were going to bring. They didn't know what we were going to be like because we we change. We aren't an England team. We aren't a Welsh team. We aren't a Scottish team. Like we all come together. Um, so I think that was really cool to be a part of. I saw an amazing tweet after your victory against USA where someone tweeted saying, people are up in arms that Warren Gatlin hasn't picked Josh Adams on the wing for the Lions. I'm asking, why hasn't he picked Jasmine Joyce? (laughs) (laughs) Jas, she was unreal, unreal. The, The gaps that that girl can get through to score tries is unbelievable and i like we we have this joke that i don't understand how quick how jazz is so quick because she's got like no hamstring strength like at all like no hamstring strength and we always take the mick out of her for it but she is one of the most deadliest players in the whole of the olympics in the whole of the world on the seven series and in 15s like she's absolutely unreal um and I remember in an, in an interview, Abby Brown, I think described her as small but mighty or like a, a little angry man. I don't really know which one she <laughs> described her as. Um, <laughs> and that just literally sums up Jazz. She's she's small, but when we came away from that USA tournament, she knew that potentially that she had been bullied a little bit on the wing by by like Nia Tapper and their bigger girls. And she was like, I ain't let, letting that happen again. And she turned up when it came to USA and... She, she, I think she had a bit of a, a point to prove in those games and she definitely proved it. Do you think she flew in under the radar a bit? Because even though she's a returning Olympian, which didn't, and, you know, she's, we know that she's been tearing up. She's not someone we've probably talked about a huge amount on the pod or talked a massive amount in the build-up. 
And I feel like maybe she's not got the recognition she's deserved on world rugby mm-hmm. over the years. And maybe obviously playing for Wales, maybe that's difficult. Yeah. Um, but do you think that meant she flew in under the radar a bit and that played into her hands? Yeah, potentially, extent? potentially, because she didn't she didn't actually play that many minutes in Rio. Um, I remember speaking to her about it and she she didn't really play that much. So I think people knew knew what Jazz Joyce could do, but didn't know what Jazz Joyce could do surrounded by like world world class players that we have in our squad. Because yeah. that that yeah. is at the end of the day, like Jazz can bring some magic on her own, but the ability for us to work teams to be able to put her into that space for to give her that opportunity, that's different than what she would get within a 15 squad, I'd say, because you just aren't getting that that room to that room to breathe, that that room to move. Um so yeah, I think she definitely flew under the radar a little bit, but she definitely won't be flying under the radar from now on, will she? She definitely put a statement out there. She did. The poor old rugby Europe teams are gonna have to face her playing for Wales. That's that's the crying pity. And that's part of a bigger conversation around GB and nations for probably another pod because we need to get through these teams. That defeat against USA, which some emotional scenes on the pitch as well. You can touch on those, Bert, because I know there's pretty strong bond with you and the USA girls as well. We've had Lomar on the show as well. But that took you up against France in the semi-final and I guess that, like Mitch's against Argentina, is probably one that you guys look back on and think, what could have been? Yeah, it's it's difficult to think about the France game because, well, the, the better team won. Fran- France outplayed us. They were all over us in attack, um, in defence. They they decided not to put anyone in the breakdown, which is something that we necessarily haven't seen from the French team before. But when they did go into the breakdown, they were making a mess of it, but they were always seven on feet and they they suffocated us in, in defense. Um, and that's the only way to, to put about it. Um, I think a lot of us looked at ourselves after that game and thought, did we stick to the game plan that we wanted to stick to? No. Um, and it was more disappointing because we know we're better than that. Like we just didn't play our game, and it was it was a really really difficult pill to swallow because we were so close and we still didn't even play how we usually play. Like there was only a try in it. It's just yeah, but they they did outplay us, and that's that's the that's the reality of it. I was surprised at uh, I was thinking watching that game like the the French girls are making this really difficult because what people might not understand is that even though they're playing on a full-size pitch in sevens, when there's seven defenders all on their feet and they haven't put anyone into the breakdown and as an attack, obviously, you're putting, you've got one person on the floor, maybe one over and one playing away, you're already losing the numbers game. And the, the difficulty against France, I was thinking, is that they're actually pretty, they're, they're, they're physical enough so that when you try and play through, actually... You know, in a way, they're they're enjoying that, aren't they? I yeah. guess they're like they've got girls in the middle who will lap that up and and tackle and and be quite happy doing that. Yeah, it, we just we just didn't know how to change the picture. I think we just didn't adapt of how to change the picture quick enough. Um, yeah, that that that's the reality of it. We just didn't we could just couldn't change the picture against them for us to be able to get an attacking platform. Um, we leaked in a few tries. We went. I think we went down by two tries really early on, like within the first five minutes. And that was the first time I think that's ever happened to us within, definitely within the Olympic tournament, but then within, as when we've done prep prep tournaments before, I don't think we've gone down by that big of a margin that quickly. And I just didn't, we we just we just didn't react to it quick enough. Um, 
that's the reality of it. Um, but yeah, definitely one that I think we would, in a few years' time, we will get a, a lot of learning off of, a lot of learning. But let's have it right. France are by no means a bad team because no, they made it very difficult for New Zealand in the final. And again, a team that you pushed all the way in the group stages. That was an unbelievable start. But let's just talk about New Zealand. They were the favourites. They've been the favourites for the last five years. But boy, did they have to work for it. And I, and I loved to see them work for it as well. I think a lot of people thought that it was going to be a cakewalk for them, but yeah. they really, really earned the right to call themselves gold medalists. Yeah, they, they, they did. Like, hats off to them. They're an unreal side with the with the pace that they have on the edges with Blyde, uh, Michaela Blyde and Portia Woodman, and then their workhorses in the middle, Ruby Tui and um, Sarah Hirini. Gossie, Hirini, as, yeah. we all, as we all know her as, um, but they're an, they're an unreal side and they, I think they hurt a lot after coming second in Rio and they, they wanted to come back and they proved it time and time again on the series that they were ready to win a gold medal. Um, and it was just the, the time that they were going to do it in. They just had to wait, um, which I bet will have been painful for them to wait, but like, they're a good group of girls. They they deserve they deserve to to come out on top there. Um, they play it. I'm unreal. glad that they. Sorry. Yeah. Go on. I was saying they play it unreal amount, a unreal level of rugby. So yeah. I'm glad that they were tested to the point where they had to show how good they were. Like I'm with you, Burnsy, because mm. I thought going into it, and all bias aside, I thought the only team genuinely that would challenge them was was, was going to be our GB girls because because of our style of play, the way. That you girls were defending and stuff, I th and and it showed when you played them. And I thought we were the only team. And I, <laughs> sorry to say this now, but but I was like, the girls are gonna get to the final, and it's gonna be an amazing matchup with New Zealand, and we're gonna push them really close. And and I knew it was gonna be a tall order to bit. Anyway, that's why I saw it playing out. Um, but a lot of teams pushed them, and I was really yeah. really glad because it allowed them not only made for an exciting tournament but it, it allowed them to show how good they are across the board. Um, and they've they've kind of captured the imagination more so than they probably were when they were cruising it, cruising tournaments on the World Series sometimes. Like, they're everywhere at the moment, and it's great to see. Yeah. We all want to go out on the piss with Ruby Tui, don't we? We all want to go out <laughs> on the beers with, with uh, the woman of the hour. But I think the rest of them as well, there seems just like an unbelievable camaraderie and even when they're in dark places in those tournaments, I never saw them um, losing it with each other. There was still a sense of levity about them and a lot of fun and joy in the way they would play. Yeah, they have a lot of trust within that team that's been built over the past five years. So much trust. And that they know each other inside out. Like they have their young girls that come in that might not necessarily play as much, but they just, they still add so much to their culture um, and their their environment off the pitch, which you see it in, in like world-class teams, the environment off the pitch directly translates to it on the pitch. And that is the New Zealand girls are literally living proof that that works. Um, they're so connected as a unit and you, you can see that they play for each other, not just themselves, which is like, they're a great advocate for, for women's sevens, especially. Do you know a player who I think that probably hasn't had as much credit uh, 
for their performance in interviews. I thought it was really crucial, Sam. Gail Broughton, I thought she brought yeah. so much for them. And in big moments as well, her finish in the final in the corner rugby league NRL star was massive. Yeah, 100%. Especially after them losing Nar Williams, just coming up to the tournament. It was, it was the kind of the... The question of is Broughton going to be able to play for that amount of minutes? Because we know before in the series, they don't usually bring her on for that long. And they usually have her for a bit of magic and take her back off and then like rotate their centers. But she she pulled it out of the bag. Like she she did pull it out of the bag, especially in that Fiji uh, extra time scoring there as well. Um, she was vital for that team um, and definitely stepped up to the stepped up to the mark of what Niall Williams brings in that team. Another player that stood out for me and uh, in a very different way to Gail Broughton, but was uh, Sarah Harini, someone you've already mentioned, but she just oozes like leadership, like calmness. And uh, she just seems like someone who just goes about her business in that group. There's a lot of like quite loud characters. I don't know what she's like. I don't really know her very well, but... She just seems a bit on the quieter side, but just sort of the the real leadership figure. Obviously, he was the flag bearer for Team New Zealand out there, uh, and so a kind of a kind of talismanic figure for women's rugby in New Zealand as well. And like yeah. someone who's obviously being pushed towards the the front of of women's rugby and, and is going to be one of the faces of it. Uh, along, you know, while Ruby Tui takes up the media side of things, <laughs> Sarah Harini is probably doing the uh, the other bit spoken to her much off the pitch but what she does bring on the pitch is just that calm head like the the leadership qualities that you you need in those moments and you always hear her talking like she's always talking giving people like confidence giving the people what their next job is on the pitch and that's like you need that within a team like that because you could have a seven of the most amazing players in the world but if they haven't got someone to hold them all together they won't know what what's different from left and right. Do you know what I mean? So she keeps them together. She keeps that glue and kind of controls the game in a different way without directly saying that she's controlling the game. But she's she know she's pulling the strings there. She keeps the glue. So she's she in charge the of the glue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's even better than being the glue. He keeps Look, guys, we got to wrap things up there. Um, we could sit and talk about the Olympics all day. I know that you guys went there with a mission to come back with gold and it didn't quite come to fruition. But I speak for myself and I think I speak to the seventh heaven listening public and pretty much anyone who follows GB7s is that what you did out there gave everyone an immense sense of pride in terms of the journey that you went on the way that you carried yourself and the unequivocal feeling that you left every single last bead of sweat out there in trying to pursue your purpose so well done guys we love you and uh, and thanks for giving us an amazing tokyo 2020 it was amazing to have the opportunity when it burst yeah and do you know what the other cool thing was, which we'll just touch on, is that I, there was so much uh, between the men's and the women's teams out there, but there has been the whole way along this GB ride, like such a, an exchange of like good energy and support. Well, that's what I felt anyway. Hopefully you girls have felt it. We, we'd probably display it in a less obvious way sometimes than the girls. So we came out um, before one day or on the way back from one of our days of 
must have been after the quarters and the girls had adorned our apartment area with like bunting and notes and mar like masks start with like messages written on them and that was the most amazing thing and it was like do you know what these girls they're all right <laughs> we're all right we're not that weird no <laughs> honestly the 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 back and forth love that we get like it's n the gb ride the gb7's ride wasn't just about the 13 girls i was there with it was about all of the girls all of the men all of the different staff members that we had and we we were we were a family and we still are a family and i think that's something that we were we will remember throughout the whole i will definitely remember throughout the whole of my career the the love that we have for one another so right that wraps things up for the olympics for seventh heaven but there is one last pod left in the series That'll be coming to you very shortly. And the big news is, is that Chip will be back in the clouds. All four of us are going to be here to send you off and say farewell to an amazing Olympic cycle. But until then, until next time, from all of us up in seventh heaven, it is. Adios. Bye. Peace out. You